The scripture for today is Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word. Studying that passage this week, and then hearing Jesse uh, read that is a little different. Um, but to have our kids uh, with us today, and, and having such such a, a great week at uh, kids camp, uh, as, as Amber said, uh, if you guys missed it at the, at the very beginning, uh, just thank you. There were so many people, just dozens of you, stepped up and, and really poured in to make it a, a tremendous week for our kids at camp. We've got mission teams that have just come back, and, and a team that's going this week. Uh, last week we heard from a, a church planter that we're partnering with with a new church plant in Black Mountain. Uh, so as we as we head into the second half of 2023, it's just a, it's just a great time to be at New Life. And, and as we move into God's Word this morning, the, the passage that Josie just read, um, that comes from the middle of Romans chapter 8. And, and we're in a series focusing on just that chapter in, in, in the, the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, what many have called the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. And, and one reason that it is loved so much is that it answers some of the deepest questions that we all have in our lives. And, and today we're going to see what God has to say about one of the most foundational questions of our day and of our time. Uh, there is no shortage of confusion on this question. Uh, there, there's no shortage of opinions on this question. There's no shortage of thoughts and even doubts about this question. Uh, I've asked this question. You've asked this question. Boys and girls, you've asked this question. Grown-ups, you've asked this question not just once but many times in your life. And the question is this, who am I? Who am I? Now, I, I don't want you to answer out loud, but, but think for yourself, how would you answer that question today? W would you think about that in terms of, what grades you're in. So boys and girls, if, if you just completed the third grade, you are already a fourth grader, right? So, so I'm a fourth grader today. Uh, Grown-ups, maybe it's, it's where you work or, or a degree that you hold. Maybe you would approach the answer to that question in terms of gender or some kind of category of personhood. Uh, maybe you'd say, well, I'm a kid or I'm a mom or I just became a grandparent. So, so what, what we're going to see today is that, that the answer that God's word gives us to this question is a much more foundational, much more significant, and much more eternal answer to that question than a lot of the things that we say in, in our lives from day to day. So who am I? What is my identity? What is my identity, particularly if I'm in Christ? That's what Romans 8 is going to help us address today. So to quickly recap where we've been the, the last couple of weeks as we've, as we've been diving into Romans 8. We've talked about how in Christ, we have a new freedom. That was our first week. And, and we talked about the first four verses. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how it starts. And then last week, we talked about a new mindset, a mind that is set on the Spirit. We looked at Romans uh, 8 in, in several verses, but verse 5 is where we started. It says, For those who live according to the flesh 
set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, so we talked about a new freedom, we talked about a new mindset, and today we're going to talk about a new identity, a new identity. So that's our big question, what is our identity in Christ? Uh, now today with, with some of our uh, K-5 through kids in the service with us, our outline is going to look a little bit different. Uh, and and uh, kids, if you didn't already get one of the, the, the packets with the drawing sheet that uh, Miss Amber so expertly uh, created for you, uh, you can get those. Those are at the welcome desk. So if you missed that on the way in, feel free to, to hop up and, and go right out in the lobby and you can uh, get one of those. We're going to talk about three big ideas and I'm going to ask you to draw three pictures. And, and grownups, you're not left out of this either. If you have a journal, uh, you can... Can, you can draw too if, if you want to go get a packet and say it's for a kid. That's fine too. You, you can do that. Uh, but, but here's what our outline will look like for today, okay? Is there's, there's three pictures, three boxes, and a little space underneath each box. And we'll just kind of fill those in as we go. Now, uh, kids, if, if you got one of those, uh, those, those drawing sheets, right under where it says Romans 8 on, in that white space in the top right, write the big question, what is our identity in Christ? That's our question. What is our identity in Christ? And we'll, we'll draw together and, and, and we'll look at, at, at this passage verse by verse. And hopefully we'll walk out of here with a better understanding of Romans 8, 12 through 17 and, and know who we are in Christ and what our identity is or, or can be if we're not yet in Christ. So before we get to, to box number one, let's get the context from last week where Alan Michael uh, helped us see the great contrast that Paul is drawing in Romans 8 between flesh and spirit, that living by the flesh leads to death while living by the spirit leads to life. And, and he said that we've got to set our minds against the flesh and on the spirit. Now, now this word flesh, it can be a little bit confusing because the way we use that word in, in kind of day-to-day -day English is not the only way that the Bible uses that word as it translates over from Greek. Like, like a lot of words, there's a, a range of meaning and there's several different definitions uh, with that. So there, there's, there's actually a laundry list of, of uh, definitions that, that, that you can see in the New Testament for the word flesh that's translated from Greek. Uh, the, one of the most common ones is, is what we think about normally, which is the physical body. So just our bodies, or, or we might say more specifically, this, this tissue that covers our bones, right? That's our flesh. We're, we're, we're used to thinking of it like that. A, a more common way that the New Testament uses that word is, is any or all parts of us which are dominated by sin. So this is kind of like our, our nature, our, our natural state. Uh, this can refer to our minds, our wills, our desires, and, and specifically those parts of us that are inclined against God. So they're in, in rebellion against God. That's what it means oftentimes when it says the word flesh. So last week we looked at Romans 8 verse 7. It said, for the mind that is set on the flesh is what? It's hostile to God. So it's against God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So that's bad news for human beings. But Paul says to the Christians in Rome, good news, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are not in the flesh. So with that understanding of flesh, let's look at our passage for today. Romans 8, 12 through 17. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open there. Uh, boys and girls, if you have your, your sheet, if you flip it over on the other side, the text is there and there's some blanks that you can fill in uh, as we go. Um, Romans 8, 12 through 17. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the, the, these verses will be up on the screen. So let's, uh, let's pray together as we dive into God's word for this morning. Pray with me if you would. 
Heavenly Father, as we, as we look at your word and, um, and we really seek to understand what you want to communicate to us, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to see wonderful things in your word and then uh, to live accordingly. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's pick up with what Paul is saying in verse 12, Romans chapter 8. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now, this, this word debtors, the NIV translates a little bit differently than the ESV version. Uh, it, it says we have an obligation. So we're debtors. We have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. So verse 12 is a, a conclusion drawn from last week's passage that since Christians, those who are, are in Christ, since we live by the Spirit, we don't owe anything to the flesh. That's, that's not our master anymore. We don't have any obligation, and, and we shouldn't live as if it is. And here's why. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if, if, if you just go with the flow and the natural uh, sinful nature that we have, our, our will, our desires, our appetites, if you make peace with the flesh and don't continue daily to declare war on the flesh, then, then you will die. Now, now, what does this mean, the deeds of the flesh? Uh, there, there's a, a similar passage to Romans 8 where Paul actually goes into more detail to the church in Galatia. So we, we know that as the letter to the Galatians. And this won't be on the screens, but, but listen to what he says in Galatians 5. What, what is living according to the flesh in, in Paul's way of, of speaking? He tells them this in Galatians 5. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. He said they're, they're clear, they're obvious. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. These are all works of the flesh. This is living according to the flesh. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and the, the list goes on. Uh, mom, moms and dads, you can talk about the rest of those uh, at home with your kids. Uh, but, but those are examples of living according to the flesh, the same thing that Paul's talking about in Romans 8. And then he contrasts that with living by the Spirit. This, this is the, the, the continuation in Galatians 5. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, many of you know this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So there's the contrast of living according to the flesh and living by the Spirit. And he says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? That sounds like Romans 8, 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You'll experience life. So we're to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. We're to put to death the deeds of the body. Now, John Owen is a, a great, he's a member of our church, uh, but not, not, not that John Owen. <laughs> There's a John Owen from the 1600s who wrote an entire book on this one verse. It, it's called The Mortification of Sin. You might have heard this famous quote from him. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So he's, he's trying to sum up there from, from his book and, and, and from this passage that we need to take an active role and putting to death sin in our lives, mortifying, killing, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. This last week, I was, uh, I, I was home alone for several days. Carrie and, and the kids were out of town, and one night, it was, it was pretty late. It was uh, past the time I normally go to bed. I, I was just about to go to bed, and the dog heard a noise. 
It's ever happened to you where he's just chilling out, he just kind of lays around most of the time, but all of a sudden he starts growling. And, and, and late at night, he, he stands up, his back is arched, he's stiff as a board, and he starts growling, and I'm like, what, what's going on with him? Did some, something spook him? Something, you see something outside? And I looked over, he's, he's growling at, at the front window in our living room. And I looked over there, and, and I saw the curtains move. And I heard something, like, like scraping against the floor or something like that, and the curtains moved again, and I was like, that's not like the AC coming on. And, and that's not something outside either, right? Like, so, so I'm getting a little bit freaked out. Like, what, what is this? It wasn't like a little insect running run, run across the, the floor there. So, so I muster up the courage. I kind of like tiptoe over and peer around the couch. And what did I see right on the baseboard underneath the window about a four-foot-long snake under our window. Inside the house. Thank you, Sandy. <laughs> so I see that, and I'm trying not to freak out. The dog is, is starting to bark and not just growl. So I grab him by the collar. I, I back him away. I put him in his crate. And then I just went on to bed. <laughs> is that what I did? No, of course not. Would you go to bed with this huge snake in your house? Now, first of all, I just made that whole story up, okay? None of that really happened, okay? But, but if it, Rodney, yeah, yeah. If it did, what would I have done? Would I have just gone on to bed? No. I would have had to deal with the snake that was in the house, and I couldn't rest, I couldn't sleep until I did. And that's, that's what Paul, that's how he's describing here. That's what our, our flesh, the, the sin nature that we, that we still battle and struggle against, that's how we have to treat it. We can't just, just leave it alone and not worry about it and, and, and go to bed. It's going to be there in the morning. So, so let's, let's go to our drawing pages that Miss Amber made for you. And, and here's what I want you to draw on our first box. I want you to draw a decapitated snake. A decapitated snake. Now, what's a, what, what does decapitated mean? Just shout it out. It's dead and it's headless, right? Its head is cut off, okay? Now, this is a little bit of a gruesome picture. Uh, our, the other two aren't, aren't going to be quite so gruesome. Um, so, boys and girls, draw a decapitated snake in that first box. Th this picture is from a news story in Texas. And, and I actually read this from a, a British website, which made it all that more entertaining to, 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 to read that from their perspective. But this family in Texas found this venomous snake in their garden, and they took loppers and cut its head off, okay? And, and here's what the British news story says. Here, here's, here's the thing. After they, they cut its head off, it says this, its decapitated head continued to move around with the mouth attempting to bite, opening up to show long fangs. Now, I did a little snake research this week, and, and I don't know if this is every snake, but apparently that's not entirely uncommon. The, the, the snake can, can have its, its head cut off, and it can still bite, and it can still inject venom. So I was sharing this with, with my son, who's 11, and he asked the, the worst question he could possibly ask. He, he said, well, how long can he do that? And I said, it doesn't matter. If you see a dead snake, if, if you see a snake you think is dead, if you see a snake whose head is cut off, okay, don't poke it, don't touch it, don't, don't mess with it. That, it doesn't matter. 
That's what we're to do with the sin in our lives, the deeds of the flesh. We're to cut off the head. Don't mess with it. That only leads to death. It only leads to destruction. And God wants to lead us into life. So I brought something with me today to, to illustrate this point. Um, now, this is a snake from uh, the Amazon. Actually... It's from, from Amazon. It's from, it's from Amazon. So it's, uh, <clears throat> so this will, this, will, this will remind us and just a picture that uh, these loppers down here have cut, cut his head off and he's sitting there, but I'm still not going to mess with it, right? I'm, I'm not messing with a snake, um, if, if it's a, a real snake, uh, no matter if his head is cut off or not. So that's lesson number one for today, and that's picture number one, okay? So uh, if this is your first time here, we don't normally handle snakes uh, in, in our services, but they're, uh, sometimes we do, usually not in the summertime. Um, but, but just imagine that that, that, that snake's head is, is cut off. That's your first picture. And then under that first box, write these words, not in the flesh, not in the flesh. So what is our identity in Christ? That's our big question. The first answer is, that we are not in the flesh if we're in Christ, okay? So that's our, our first uh, piece of this passage. Let's move on to the second box and keep reading with Paul in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, verse 14 begins with this word, for. There's, there's this tight connection between verse 14 and verse 13, and, and it says being led by the Spirit here, that connects back to putting to death the deeds of the body in verse 13. So, so what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? In, in this passage, what he's saying is to be led by the Spirit is to hate the things the Spirit hates, to fight the things the Spirit fights, the deeds of the flesh, and to love the things that the Spirit loves. That's how we're to be led by the Spirit. And that shows, it shows according to this verse, that we are sons or children of God. That's, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, then you are led by the Spirit. It's not a special subcategory of Christians that's only available to elite Christians, whatever that means. This is for everyone in Christ. And if you're led by the, the Spirit, guess what? That shows you are a child of God. How is the Spirit described? Verse 15, the next verse. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So who is the Holy Spirit if we're in Christ? He, he's not a slave master to make us live in fear. That's what living according to the flesh did to us. Instead, he is called the spirit of adoption, and he enables us to cry out to God as our Father. Now, last week, Alan Michael took some time to talk about uh, two great doctrines of salvation to kind of help us understand uh, the gospel from different perspectives, the, the beauty of this good news of Jesus Christ. He talked about justification and sanctification. And, and those are super important. We don't want to de-emphasize those at all. But there's another doctrine of salvation, another part of the gospel that is often overlooked. And it's, it's called a Cinderella doctrine by some because it, it's, it's so beautiful, it's so precious, and yet it's just, it's just not really paid much attention to. And that's the doctrine of adoption. So like justification, this is a legal declaration, it, but it's not just God officially changing our status and making us in right with him, clearing, clearing us from being guilty. 
justifying us, that's justification, but it's God officially changing our status and bringing us into his family as his own kids. So adoption is, is a legal reality, but it's a doctrine of warmth and love and family and fatherhood. So boys and girls, we have something uh, here that represents that. Um, I'm actually going to blame Amazon for something else. I, I ordered a, a gavel and uh, it, di it didn't come like it was supposed to yesterday. So I have a, a mallet, okay, but so this isn't quite, quite, quite the same idea. Uh, a, a real judge wouldn't use a, a, a rubber mallet uh, in their courtroom, okay. But, but this, this represents the, the, the legal and the familial, the family reality that God has adopted those who are in Christ into his family as his children. So in that second box, you can draw a gavel like the one up on the screen. That's your second picture to draw. And then underneath that box, write the word adopted. What is our identity in Christ? We are adopted. Now, adoption in the fatherhood of God is so critical. It's so central to the whole message of Christianity. If you're a Christian, or if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, and, and, and you're just trying to figure out what, what faith is, um, this is a great day to be here because this is right at the heart of the whole thing. Uh, J.I. Packer, maybe some of you have heard of him. He's a, a theologian who died just a few years ago, but he authored one of the best books probably in the last hundred years, and, and it's, it's simply titled Knowing God. Maybe some of you have read this. Maybe some of you have heard of this. And he's got a chapter in his book on adoption. I want to read just a, a, a brief excerpt from that on the fatherhood of God. He, he says this. This is J.I. Packer. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, everything that is distinctively Christian and not merely Jewish, is summoned, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father, Packer says, is the Christian name for God. That's how central, that's how important. This is for any of us who want to, to know God and how we can relate to him if we're in Christ. So that the judge who declares us not guilty because of what Jesus did for us, he uses his gavel a second time to say, not only are you not guilty, you are my children. I'm your dad. Jesus is your elder brother and you've got a forever home in my house. This, this is one of the texts that has inspired a great movement of adoption among Christians, not just in our country, but in other countries as well. And, and the best motivation for this is, is right here, is that, that, that God has adopted us. And, and, and that is a great motivation to adopt those who need a father is a very visible, tangible reflection of what God has done for us in the gospel. And that's why the church is described as a family. It's, it's not just a gathering of individuals who follow Jesus, but, but all God's kids coming together, and we call him Father. We call him Dad. 
you might have heard that this, this word, uh, Abba, that's kept in the Aramaic. That's not a, it's not a Greek word. It's not an English word. It, it, this Aramaic was the language. You might know that Jesus actually spoke most of the time, probably when he was on earth and when he prayed to the Father. So it's very likely that the disciples would have heard him many times calling out to God the Father when he was praying using this word, Abba. And, and, and in Christ, we can address the God of the universe with this term of intimacy, this, this term of endearment. So it, it's not sacrilegious. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not improper to call him our dad. A, a couple of objections from, from this verse that, that might trip up some of us uh, in this room. Uh, the, the first one is, why does it say that we're adopted as sons? Okay, is it is. Is Paul a chauvinist here? Is, is he leaving the girls out? Okay, what, what, what is, what's up with, with using the word sons here? Now remember the context. He's writing to people in Rome. In, in Rome and in the wider world in that time, uh, adoption was practiced, but it's not the kind of adoption that we typically think of uh, here and now. In that time and culture, you could only pass an inheritance to a male heir. Okay, so if you needed an heir, but you didn't have children, or you only had girls, you could not legally pass on your inheritance. You couldn't pass on land, you couldn't pass on wealth. So it was not altogether uncommon for someone to adopt a male heir in order to do that. They would adopt, in, in some cases, an adult male. The most famous example, you might remember this from history class in high school, is Julius Caesar adopting Octavian. Octavian later became Caesar Augustus, the first Roman emperor. He was adopted by his great uncle for, for this very reason. So rather than denigrating women, rather than leaving out the girls, okay, Paul is taking this all-male institution and he's applying it to men and women equally. He's saying we all have equally the privileged status of sons in that time and in that culture. So I'm sure most of you uh, recently have read the preface in your Bible, right? Those, those pages at the very beginning that you all probably read before you started reading your Bible, right? For those who haven't, the few of you in this room who haven't, okay, uh, let me read what it says in the preface to the ESV. There's some interesting stuff in there, and it addresses this, this idea of keeping the translation sons instead of adding and daughters in, in some places like this. This is what the preface to the ESV says. As used by the Apostle Paul... The term sons refers to the status of all Christians, both men and women, who, having been adopted into God's family, now enjoy all the privileges, obligations, and inheritance rights of God's children. One more thing to, to keep in mind. This is one metaphor of many through, throughout the scripture. Guys, we are called the what of Jesus? The bride of Christ, right? The bride of Jesus. Does that apply only to women since, since it says the word bride? No, it applies to, to all of us. So, so don't let the, this, this word sons here trip us up. Let's realize who Paul was writing to and, and what he was saying and the reality that he's bringing all of us into. A second thing that could be an obstacle uh, for, for some of us, maybe many of us in this room, uh, understandably, the word father can be complicated. Uh, I had a friend in high school that, that was... Uh, we, we had m many talks about 
about God and, and about knowing him and about coming to faith in Jesus Christ to, to know God and to be his child. And, and that was her big obstacle because of her experience with her earthly father. That was an obstacle to, to trusting him, to believing in him, to coming to him. Uh, no doubt that's, that's true for, for some of us. Um, if that describes you, that, that's, that's probably quite a lot to work through. Uh, maybe you're in that process already. We won't be able to address uh, nearly enough of that in a setting like this, but, but we want to acknowledge that, that that is complicated for, for some people, and, and, and that is um, wrapped up with some pain and some difficulty for some. Uh, at the same time, we want to put in an infinite distance between the idea of our earthly fathers and the idea of God as a heavenly father. Even, even good earthly fathers, there's an infinite distance. Uh, but maybe for you, this, this, this idea of father brings up images of a father who's harsh or, or unfaithful or abusive or, or maybe just indifferent. But we have to hear this. We have to wrap our minds and our hearts around this truth that, that God is not like that father. God is a father who, he is consistent with his character. The, the Bible talks about him like this. It says that he is full of mercy. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. And he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's a father who heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He gives good gifts to his children. He's a father who protects his children from harm and he disciplines us for our good. Those are, are just a few of the reasons that we, we love him as our father, that we worship him. That's the kind of dad that he is. And if, if we're in Christ, that is the father who has adopted us. And if we're adopted by God, there is a great, great future hope for us. So let's move to the third and final piece. Let's look at verse 16. Paul continues, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So, so the Spirit just doesn't just help us in becoming God's children, but he also helps us become more aware that we are his children, that we really are. He helps us experience that assurance that yes, you really are a child of God. Now this, this doesn't preclude times of doubt that many of us have or times that we don't feel that close to God. I think we all experience that at different times, but we'll also experience a comfort from him, a confidence and assurance of God's spirit that we belong to him. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the New Testament assures us that, that because of that union with Christ, because of we're in Christ, followers of Jesus will be glorified with him in the end. And, and the road to that place, just like the path that Jesus had to walk, is going to include suffering. That is going to be part of it in this world. And that's going to look differently for each of us. And, and Paul has a lot more to say about the suffering we'll continue to experience. We're actually going to dig into that more next week as, as, he, as he really uh, uh, continues on that idea. But the final piece for us today is a great promise, a great promise. And you guys thought this was, was just a box. Uh, this is actually a treasure chest, okay? Thank you, Miss Amber, for letting me borrow your, your treasure chest, okay? So this is our third picture. Uh, in, in your third box, kids, you, you can um, 
You can draw a treasure chest. And this, this is symbolic of the inheritance that God has for his children. Obviously, he doesn't have a, a box of pirate gold <laughs> waiting for us uh, in, in heaven. Uh, but this is just to try to wrap our minds around something that we can't even imagine. The, the inheritance in God's kingdom as God's children. So, un, so, so, so draw a treasure chest in, your third, in, the, in the third box, and under that box, write heirs. H-E-I-R-S, heirs. What is our identity in Christ? We are heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ. The inheritance that God is our Father has for us. He's given us, as this inheritance, these great and precious promises that we see all over the pages of Scripture. That we'll be in his kingdom. We'll be present at the great banquet. We'll have a home with him forever. But there is still no greater treasure than God himself, that we will be with him. And what Jesus Christ has inherited as the risen and ascended king, we inherit with him as fellow heirs. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Russia a number of times. And, and we served with a group that was ministering every week to several orphanages in their area. You, you might be able to imagine what, what that would have been like uh, 20 years ago, at least. Um, it, there were very plain concrete buildings, just concrete block uh, on the outside. Uh, when you walk in on the, on the inside, it was, it was just cold. It was dark. Uh, even in the summertime, there was, there was hardly any light, uh, just, just, just very little light in the whole place. The, the walls were, were either unpainted in most cases, or, or maybe they were, they were painted years and years ago. And it just felt lifeless. It, it, it was just a, a place where, where it just felt like despair grew in this place. And, and many of the kids had just no expression on their face. Uh, there wasn't much to smile about, and, and they had stopped expressing themselves outwardly uh, for some of them many years ago. There were some of these kids who held on hope uh, that, that they might be adopted, there, some, some, and some were. Uh, some were adopted. There, there was a, a great movement in the 1990s and early 2000s of, of children being adopted out of Russia in, into the U.S. and into to other places. So there are uh, quite a few kids um, in, in the U.S. Uh, that that was their background. But, but the hard reality is this. They were, percentage-wise, very few uh, who, who were adopted. And, and most of the kids, as they got older, they started to realize that's probably not going to happen for me. And, and, and even in, in the place where there was just such despair and such, such hopelessness and, and so much that was just lifeless, there were a handful of kids in that orphanage who were different. One of them was named Alexei. And Alexei had, he, he maybe had a sparkle of hope that, that maybe one day he'd be adopted. Maybe one day a, a, one of his family relatives would, would just show up unannounced and and, and say, I'm, I'm going to adopt him as my own and, and, and take, take him home. Maybe, maybe that would have happened, but, but he knew more than likely he was going to age out and he was going to be in the orphanage um, until he was 17, 18 years old. And yet, Alexei still had this sense of hope, the sense of joy about him. He had a smile on his face most of the time because he had heard from, from these people ministering in that orphanage, he had heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And he had responded by faith and he was in Christ. And, and he, reality is, he had a tough road ahead. He had suffering ahead of him. 
but he had come into a relationship with God as father. And, and he knew he could, he could shine as a bright light in that orphanage because he had the, the hope of an eternal future with God as his perfect adoptive father, beyond what he could have ever hoped for in this life and in this world, a future in, in God's house, a future where he was a co-heir with Christ and part of the forever family that starts right now in the church and started for him right there in the church in his city in Russia and never ends in God's kingdom. So who was Alexei and, and who are we? If our identity is in Christ, the answer is the same for all of us. The answer from this passage is we are not in the flesh. We are adopted. We're brought into God's family and we are heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ, a future inheritance with God unlike anything that we can ever imagine. If you're here today and, and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then as Paul says it, you are in Christ and all these things are true of you today. If you're here and you've not yet trusted in Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done, then these things are not true of you today, but they can be. They can be. You can be freed from living in the flesh. You can, be, you can find life in God's spirit. You can be adopted as his child, and, and as his child, you can be a fellow heir with Christ and be with him for all of eternity. And we would love to talk to you more about any of that if you're exploring, if you have questions. Uh, boys and girls, if, if you want to talk to your parents, your grandparents, someone in your life who loves Jesus, uh, Miss Amber, Mr. Allen, they're always available to talk to you as well. This is at the very heart of Christianity, what it means to know God. So we're going to finish this morning with the way we started. To hear these great truths from this great chapter one more time as we head into this week. Um, so, the worship team's going to come and they're going to lead us in a final song. Uh, but I, I want to read this passage for us one more time as, as we are right in the middle of Romans 8. So, if you would stand with me and let's read this together and, this, and, and, and just receive this as God's word to you, over you, if you're in Christ. And if you're not, this is what can be true of you today. Paul says in Romans 8, starting in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So let's sing together and let's praise him for what he's done and what he continues to do.